Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, as we begin, I want to uh, mention just a couple things. First of all, uh, so many people who were involved last week for our Easter celebration, thank you uh, for all of you who were part of the team that put that together, both uh, musically and with the uh, welcoming, our first impression, so many different uh, people that are involved every week, but Easter being an extra extra effort on that, so thank you so much for all of you who volunteered to be a part of that, and make sure that our church family and guests felt welcome as we celebrated together, and that happens each week, and so thank you to our volunteers. Speaking of volunteers, uh, this Sunday is our Kids Ministry Volunteer Appreciation, so if... uh, you work in our children's ministry, whether it's Sunday morning or Awana or other areas. I know that there are some special uh, gifts for you downstairs, and so uh, make sure that uh, you stop by and grab one of those if you're one of our children's ministry volunteers. If you aren't a children's ministry volunteer, you may want to go down and check those gifts out and say, you know what, Uh, boy, maybe I should do that. And I know they're always looking for more, but it's an amazing team, and so we're so grateful for all those who volunteer in the various areas of ministry. Next Sunday, we have Discover Hannaford. If you're newer to Hannaford Street and you want to find out more, some of the ministry leaders and and elders will be there to, uh, it's very informal, a light lunch will be served, it's after the second service, so it'll be about 11.40 or so on next Sunday morning and in the fellowship room just to the east of us here. And uh, so you get a chance to, if you have some questions, just to get to know some people, find out more about the ministries that we have at Hannaford. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize the incredible gift of salvation in Christ. And Lord, as we've been singing about your word this morning, the amazing principles that you have for us, Lord, may we recognize that we are complete in Christ. And as we look at your word, may we learn this morning, not just for knowledge's sake, but to live differently because of what we learn. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's estimated that there are about 10,000 religious systems in the world. Religion could be defined as an institutionalized system of faith, worship, and practices. It can be boiled down to this, simply man's attempt to reach God. Unfortunately, we often focus on religion rather than on relationship, and relationship is what God has called us to. We also can make our religion a a buffet, we choose what, you, what we want. And uh, how many of you enjoy going to a buffet? That's, I'll, I'll raise my hand. It's sort of fun. You get to say, hey, yeah, I'm feeling like this today or that. And we sort of pick and choose what we want. 
Now, how many of you always save the best for last? I, I do that, so uh, I'll eat the things. See, it, it happened when I grew up. My mom said, uh, you're going to eat everything on your plate. So I would eat the worst first. And I'd save the best for last. So when I have pie, I'll eat the back crust first. When I have pizza, I'll eat the back crust first. And I've sort of grown out of that. But, but we like to pick and choose what, what, what we want. I'll take a little bit of this, but I'm not too interested in that. And so our religion has sort of become a, a buffet and we pick and choose. But really when you break it down, there are two basic approaches. Approach number one is human achievement. I can earn my way to God. And approach number two is divine accomplishment. God has provided a way for my relationship with him to be restored. And if you look at religions, the approximately 10,000 throughout the world, basically there's one religion that's different than all the rest, and that's Christianity, the gospel, where we need to come to a point in our life where we recognize that we can't reach God, we need to allow him through his grace to save us. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, we see Paul sharing some dangers in our attempt to reach God through human achievement. Follow along as I read verses 16 through 23, Colossians chapter 2. It says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God." Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So in these verses, Paul basically shares three different ways that man attempts to reach God through human accomplishment. And so we see that, that Paul lays these out, and really these people in Colossae, the false teaching that's come in, these people in Colossae are facing all three of these attitudes, all three of these efforts. The first we see in verses 16 and 17 is that of legalism. Follow along, I'll read again verses 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now if you notice, verse 16 begins with the word so. It can also be 
translated therefore. And if you've been around here much at all, and again, it's not original with me, you've probably heard this. When you see the word therefore, you need to recognize what it is therefore. That word so or therefore means that we look back at the previous verses, and if you'll remember over the last two weeks, we we saw that we are complete in Christ and nothing else. Verses 9 and 10, Christ is the, is the full, is full of deity. He is God himself. And because of that, verse 10, we're complete in Christ. And then verses 11 through 15, talking about those pictures. If you remember from last week, the pictures that point to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And how we can be complete in him. We're identified with Him. We are victorious in Him as we celebrated last week. So because we're complete in Christ, we don't need to have anyone judge us in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. The substance, the meat is Jesus Christ. Legalism can be defined as this. Legalism is conforming to man-made rules as a measure of spirituality. Your spirituality is based upon a set of rules and regulations that we're commanded to follow. You need to recognize that legalism is all about what you do. It's focused upon external activities. And the people there in Colossae were challenged to to live their life with a focus of the Old Testament law. Paul points out that the dietary laws, the festivals, the Sabbaths were only a shadow. Jesus is where we find substance. When you think about that, that picture that Paul uses, these things are a shadow. They're not the real thing. And the Old Testament law had the, the, the importance of pointing people to Jesus Christ. The sacrifices that they performed were, were pictures of the ultimate and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. They could do all the works they wanted to do, but ultimately they needed to have a life of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, what they were looking forward to. Jesus Christ is where we find the substance. And so in each of these three, we're going to look at some of the dangers. And there's some dangers of legalism. We're not going to go through all the dangers, but we're going to look at a few dangers of living a life of legalism. First of all, we see that our relationship with God is based on works. In Luke chapter 18, a young ruler comes to Jesus. And they have a dialogue about what it means to have eternal life. I'll read verses 18 through 23. Listen as I read this dialogue between Jesus and this ruler. It says this, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
things are looking pretty good so far. This is a guy, we would call him a seeker, right? He's, he's seeking. What's gonna, what do I need to do to make sure I have a relationship with God? Verse 19, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Jesus saying, now you understand, and I'm sure other people around throughout Jesus' ministry when Jesus claimed to be God, that sort of created a little stir. He said, so if you say I'm good, you're saying that I'm God. And then he goes on, verse 20, Jesus speaking, You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Taken right from the Ten Commandments, taken from the Old Testament law, and this was a a very proud Jewish man. So here is this man's response in verse 21. He says, and he, that ruler, said, All these things I have kept from my youth. You see, he, he considered it a checklist. Yep, did this, did this, did this, did this, good to go. But notice Jesus' response in verses 22 and 23. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. But when he, the rich young ruler, heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. What was Jesus doing? Was he saying that in order to be a follower of Christ, in order to have eternal life, you've got to give away everything you have? No, that's not what he was saying. But Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. He was saying, listen, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and in nothing else. This rich ruler was was putting his faith and keeping the law and and most importantly, in his mind, putting his faith in his riches. And Jesus said, no, listen, come and follow me. Put your trust totally in me. And then you will have eternal life. It's not a set of rules and regulations. It's not a checklist that you check off. I've done this and this and this and this. It's a relationship with God. We see the danger there of our relationship being based on works, but also that our motivation comes through guilt and shame. And here's what happens. We want to make sure that we look good rather than focus on being good. You see, if I live a life of legalism, I have this set of rules and regulations I follow, and people around me are going to say, wow, they must be spiritual. But Paul is saying, listen, it's not a set of rules and regulations. It's not following the the festivals and, and all of the Jewish law. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I live a life of legalism, my my activity is going to be because of and motivated by guilt and shame. I don't want to look bad. The third danger of legalism 
And what happens when we are motivated through guilt and shame is that legalism leads to judgmentalism. We view ourselves and others based upon external activities. If I look right and others think I act right, then I'm good to go. I'm sure that rich young ruler, when he went to Jesus Christ, he was a, 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 a Jew of all Jews. He could look good. And so when Jesus started listing off some of the laws, he's like, yep, I got this. Just ask my neighbor. I'm sure they're impressed with me. But we see legalism leads to judgmentalism. But true spirituality does not consist of keeping some external rules. It, it involves having an inner relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. So we see in verses 18 and 19 a second way that man attempts by human achievement to reach God, and that's through mysticism. Verses 18 and 19, follow along as I read, let no one cheat you out of your reward. <laughs> Our reward, we're complete in Christ. We have joy and hope in Him, but let no one cheat you out of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which He has not seen, vainly puffed up by His fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. This mindset led to a false humility. Remember, if you remember, over the weeks we've been talking about some of the aspects of the false religion. And, and one of those was that they sought a deeper knowledge. And so these people were like, yes, I've got this, this inner deep knowledge. And it led to a false humility. Also, it's interesting that they throw in there the worship of angels. And if you remember, we talked about these emanations. And, and one of these false teachings was that, that Jesus was part of God, but not the full God. But as we saw that in verse 9, that, that Paul said, In Jesus dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so they would say, well, you have these different emanations that, that you would follow and, and going through others to get to God. And, and so one of the things that they did is they worshipped angels. And by the way, if, if you want to see that today, just Google angels. It's scary to see how much, we, uh, how much focus we put on angels and, and other spirits and emanations rather than our trust in Jesus Christ. Now God uses angels as his messengers and, and angels are active in this world. Unfortunately, bad angels, demons are active in this world today. But our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. But they, they would go through others to get to God. The author of Hebrews talks about how Jesus Christ has made a way so we don't need another high priest. Jesus Christ has performed the duty so we can go directly to God. But what is mysticism? Mysticism is a pursuit of a deeper subjective religious experience. 
Now, in this pursuit of this religious experience, it's easy to lose sight of truth. Everything becomes relative. And while legalism is all about what you do, mysticism is all about what you feel. And and we think of that term mysticism and we say, well, that's not really active in our world today or, or at least in our culture today. You know, maybe in some third world country where they have spirit worship and you drive along the road and they've got these little huts next to the road that are, that are spa- places for the spirits and that's mysticism, but we don't have that here. Oh, yes, we do. The opposite is true. We have it, it is thriving in our world and in our culture. Many things have become relative. What I believe is based upon how I feel, not from seeking truth. And there are many, many examples that we can give of this. Gender identity. What's, what's that based on? We deny reality and biology to seek out how we feel. The thing that I've, I've been hearing about where people believe they're cats. And so they, they want to have litter boxes in schools. And we look at it, it's like, well, I feel like a cat today. Now, we, we need to be careful here. God's love and grace are for all. But we have fallen into this trap of of my religion is based upon how I feel rather than based on seeking truth. A guy named Dwight Longnecker, I think he's originally from Ireland, wrote this. It says, first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, and then we persecute those who still call it evil. And we see that going on in our world today. How do we combat that? By demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ to the world that needs to hear. Standing on truth in love. But mysticism The narrative has moved from what does the Bible say to don't judge me concerning what I think and feel to now you must approve what I believe. But God's plan is it stops after number one. What does the Bible say? What are some of the dangers of mysticism? Well, mysticism moves from a focus on Christ to a focus on experience and feelings. Now, some of the things that happen, oftentimes people say, well, you know, I had a dream or a vision. And, well, you know, I just feel this. And and I, I feel and think we should do it this way. Instead of saying, well, what does God say in this situation? Have you ever tried to have a debate with someone who says, well, God told me? Well, God told me I should do whatever. 
doesn't matter what the Bible says because God told me. Well, God's challenged us to seek his truth. And it's sad when when someone comes in and says, well, you know, I'm going to choose to do this. Whether it's a marriage relationship or any choice that they make. God, you know, because God just wants me to be happy. Be careful, that's a very dangerous and incorrect statement. God doesn't want you to be happy. You're like, what? God wants you to be joyful. And God wants you to be holy. And there are things that we're going to do in our lives that are not easy. But we do them because we strive to be holy. In any relationship with another human being, they're probably going to let us down at one time or the other. And you can take the probably out of that. They are going to let us down one time or the other. But how do we respond? We respond by saying, well, that wasn't fair, so I'm going to respond like they responded. No, that's not how God calls us to respond. God calls us to respond correctly. God calls us to respond with holiness. Is it easy? Absolutely not. It's hard because we can't control their actions. We can't control their attitudes. But God calls on us, no matter their actions, no matter their attitude, to respond as God calls us to respond. But mysticism says, you know, it just I, I just want to do it because it feels good. Now I want to encourage you after I just popped your bubble saying God doesn't want you to be happy. God will give you joy, contentment, peace. And by the way, a byproduct of that is happiness. True happiness and joy. You see, it's not based upon my circumstances. It's not based upon what others do. It's based upon my relationship with God and obeying and following Him. So we move from a focus on Christ to a focus on experience and feelings. And with that, we see that truth is subjective if we follow this mysticism mindset. I can follow whatever I feel like believing. If it makes me feel good, then it must be right. And that leads to an attitude of no foundation for truth. What is right for you may not be right for me. So we see mysticism can be very, very dangerous. The third of the three is asceticism. Verses 20 through 23. Follow along, beginning in verse 20. It says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Asceticism can be defined as this, living a life of rigorous self-denial. 
And this mindset parallels legalism. Legalism is my, my life is controlled by all about what I do. Asceticism could be said this way. Asceticism is about what you don't do. The foundation of asceticism is self-denial. And self-denial is spiritual. When I deny myself, I must be more spiritual. Asceticism rose to popularity as people were praised and who isolated themselves or denied themselves. If you follow and you read through church history, you see some of these people that, that went off to live by themselves to isolate so they wouldn't be tempted by sin or, or did all these things, gave up all of these things in their lives to demonstrate their spirituality. It's interesting, isolism or isolation. Isolation, we've tried that the last couple of years, haven't we? How did that work? Not real well. But we see the importance of, of recognizing, yeah, there are going to be times when I give up things. But a simple list of I'm going to give up this and this and this and I must be spiritual is not where it's at. You, want, you look at missionaries. I'm amazed at, at some of the missionary stories that you hear as you read, as you read the biographies of missionaries or, or missionaries that, that we support, getting to know them and hearing their stories. Yeah, they gave up some things. But simply giving up them some things does not make me spiritual. And this asceticism says, all right, I'm going to do this. There's a guy, and I shouldn't even, because I'm trying to remember his name. I should have written it down. Simon Stylitis or Simeon Stylitis. He was a, you know, back in the Middle Ages. And what did he do? I believe it was the Middle Ages. And so he went up on the, and he lived up on top of a pole for some 30-some years to show his spirituality. Think about it. What a waste. But what happens, we say, I'm spiritual because I'm giving up these things. And it comes from a thought and a mindset that if you want to follow God, it's got to hurt. And just like the other two, asceticism leads to a false humility. Whether it's legalism, I'm following a set of rules. Whether it's mysticism, I'm, I'm spiritual because I'm seeking this deeper knowledge. Or whether it's asceticism, all these things that I'm giving up, they lead to a false humility. And like legalism, our focus becomes, becomes that of external actions rather than an emphasis on inward change. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talks about how we are a living sacrifice. And then it goes on in verse 2 and says, And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The idea of we're changing inside out. Remember those, those transformers? And they sit there and they're one thing and they transform into something else. That's what God calls us to be. We are a sinful human being and God is transforming us as we become more like Jesus Christ. It's not a set of, of outward things that we take and follow or outward things that we put off. It's an inward change as Jesus Christ works in us. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus is giving uh, some things in, in how we should pray and, and, and how we should fast in, in the beginning of Matthew 6. And in verses 16 through 18, it says this. It says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad, sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What's Jesus saying? You see, what would happen is, is part of their religion, and fasting is not bad. In fact, it can be a very good thing. But what were these people doing? They were fasting to be noticed by others. And, and he was speaking specifically of the religious leaders, and I'm sure there were others that did it too. But, but they'd go, and, 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 and it's interesting, is, is in studying it just a little bit, it, it looked like their, their fast days were also just happened to coincide with the busy market days. When lots of people were around and interacting. And so what would happen? These people would would make themselves look sort of sickly. They wouldn't, they wouldn't prep. And so when, when somebody would see them, they'd say, oh, you're not looking real good. Are you, are you sick? And they said, no, just fasting. Oh, wow, you must be spiritual. But what did Jesus say? No, listen, when you fast, take a shower, comb your hair, look good so people won't say, oh, are you sick? <laughs> people won't notice. But who will? God. But we, and even as Christians, we, we can fall into all three of these dangerous areas. The area of legalism, my relationship with God, my religion is simply a set of rules that I try to follow. That's not God's plan. Or mysticism, it's all about how I feel, seeking this inner deep knowledge. No, it's about trusting and following Jesus Christ and the truth that he provides. Or asceticism, I'm going to deny myself to be more spiritual. What are some dangers of asceticism? Number one, just like legalism, it focuses on our works rather than God's grace. The more I give up, the more spiritual I become. And a second danger of asceticism, it leads to a lack of joy. I can't enjoy anything. If it's enjoyable, it must be wrong. My spirituality is directly proportional to my misery. The more miserable I am, the more spiritual I must be. God tells us we're to be joyful. Now, by the way, there are some things that we're not supposed to do. But God wants us to be joyful. It's sad when, when somebody says, I don't want to be a Christian. They're the most miserable people on earth. No, we should have real joy. We see another danger is the basis becomes pride and false humility. Our focus moves from pleasing God to impressing others by what we give up. 
Number four, while it appears to be spiritual, there is no true change. It's interesting, the very end of that verse 23 says that our self-denial makes no real change. It doesn't help us against temptation. All three of these dangerous attitudes focus on my ability to reach God through human achievement rather than allowing God to change me as he reaches down. Human achievement rather than God's accomplishment. And Paul was warning, beware, that's not what will bring us true relationship with God. I'd like to close with a comparison between religion and the gospel I came across by a guy named Skip Heitzig. He says this, Religion is man's quest for God. The gospel is God seeking the lost. All religion originates on earth. The gospel originated in heaven. Religion is the story of what sinful man tries to do for a holy God. The gospel is what a holy God has done for sinful man. Religion has good views. The gospel is the good news. There are many religions. There's only one gospel. Religion is man-made. The gospel is a gift from God. So as you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is all about religion, all about relationship, not religion. Are you living a life joyfully seeking to allow Jesus Christ to change you? Or are you simply living a, a life of rules and regulations? Or seeking some deeper spiritual knowledge of feeling and emotion? Or simply, what am I going to give up to impress God? All three of those lead to a dead-end road. And religion, based upon human achievement, does no good. But rather, recognize God in His love sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to restore a relationship and accepting that relationship and asking God's forgiveness of your sins, that he would come and be your Lord and Savior, leading to a lifelong journey of striving to be more like Jesus Christ, with the ending of the story, eternity, with a God who loves and forgives us. That is what God calls us to do, and that brings real peace and joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. I pray that you would help us to recognize today that our relationship with you is not a set of rules and regulations. It's not just a feeling. It's not what we give up to impress you or impress others. But Lord, it's a relationship built on your love for us and our response to you. Lord, help us to be joyful followers of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.